Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, this opportunity that you have given us to gather together as mishpacha, as family, to worship before you, to encounter you, and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we uh, enjoy the rest on this Shabbat, that we will allow our hearts to be open to hear from you, that we allow our ears to be open to receive from you, and that we will leave this place today having heard your word, heard your voice, and walk out of this place with humble hearts prepared to be used by you for the good and the blessing of your kingdom and your holy name. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. So this week we are in Parsha Nitzavim, uh, which begins in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, beginning with verse uh, 9, verse 10 in a traditional English translation, um, and rolls through the end of Deuteronomy 30. Um, and uh, for those that are curious, uh, and you, you may not be curious in the least about this, but next week's Torah Parsha is actually my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, uh, which is always fun when it rolls around on its own. A lot of time Nitzavim and Vayelech are combined uh, and on leap years are separated. So my Bar Mitzvah happened to have been on a leap year and Vayelech was my Parsha. So it's always fun when that starts to roll around and I begin to anticipate. So actually, oddly enough, most of this week I kept thinking about Vayelech in preparation for the message instead of Nitzavim. And about halfway through the week went, wait a second, I'm jumping ahead of the gun here. Slow down and get back on track. So uh, this week in Parsha Nitzavim, this is one of my personal favorite Parsha outside of my Bar Mitzvah Parsha because there's such a beautiful message of God's mercy and of his love for his people in the, the word. And what's really interesting, and, and I, I strive to hit this point in our community over and over again, is that God chose the nation of Israel not because there was anything particularly special about us, not because the Jewish people were going to particularly be great at being faithful to him, because we can all read the Bible and see that that just wasn't the fact more often than not. But he chose the nation of Israel, one, because of Abraham's faithfulness, and two, to be a blessing to the nations, to be a light unto the nations. Our purpose as the Jewish people was to take the, the word of God, the message of God, the relationship with God, the covenant with God to the nations so that the nations could see the Lord in their midst and turn their hearts to him. God created humanity. He created Adam and Eve. He did not create Jew and Gentile. He called the Jewish people out as the smallest nation of all the nations to train us and build us to be a light to the rest of his creation for his purposes because his desire has always been a reunification of all of his creation with him as the creator. And so when we look at the Torah cycle, uh, especially in a Messianic Jewish community, a lot of times it sounds like we're hitting on this idea of being Jewish, being more important than anything else. And that's not at all the case. And if you ever leave CMC with kind of that, that feeling on your heart that, that, that that's what we're trying to push is that being Jewish is better than being Gentile, just read the Bible. Like, <laughs> clear that that wasn't the case. We really weren't so great at much of anything. Um, but I want you to understand that the reason we hone in on the idea of the Tanakh and the reality of Israel in the Tanakh or the Old Testament is because we can't understand the Brachadashah, the New Testament, without a foundation in the Old Testament. 
And we can't understand the New Testament without understanding that it was written by Jewish hands, with the exception of possibly Luke and Acts, which was written by Luke, who was either a convert to Judaism. This is, is my, uh, my, my opinion. He was either a convert to Judaism, or at least his family was, and he was raised uh, in that, that relationship to Judaism, or he was a Hellenized Jew, which is where I lean towards, that he was a Hellenized Jew. There's no other way that somebody could understand Judaism and the intricacies of it the way he did and relay it as he did in Luke and Acts without having a foundation in Judaism without having a foundation in, in, in the nation of Israel. And so when we look at the New Testament, we have to understand that it was all written by Jewish hands, as was all of the Tanakh, which, which, with exception of Job. And that was just because he was before Abraham was called out. Uh, Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. But as we look at this, what we realize is that the entirety of the Bible, with the exception of possibly Job, was written by Jewish hands for the specific purpose of bringing a message from God through his chosen people to the nations. And we begin to see this in Romans in particular, where Paul starts to say that the reason that Israel was, uh, was cut off, the reason that, that we didn't accept Yeshua right out the gate was so that the nations could be brought in to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. And so yet again, we see this cycle roll back around. So when we look at this Parsha, and you may be wondering why in the world I'm on this rabbit trail. When we look at this Parsha, this really begins to be honed in at the very beginning of this week's Parsha. So you have your scriptures, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 29, beginning with verse 9. Deuteronomy 29, beginning with verse 9. It says, you are standing today, all of you, before Adonai your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsider within your camp, from your wood chopper to your water carrier. Each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into this oath. When we look at the Torah, what we recognize is that when Israel left Egypt, the Torah tells us that it was a mixed multitude that left with them. The Torah tells us there were 600,000 Jewish men, which means that there was upwards of 2 million, give or take, Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the actual blood descendants of Abraham. There was as many as potentially 2 million uh, Israelites, descendants of Abraham, that left uh, Egypt. And the numbers say that it was somewhere between 3 and 5 million people that left Egypt and stood at the base of Mount Sinai, which means that upwards of three-fifths of what became the nation of Israel were of the nations in the first place that were grafted into the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. They were grafted into the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at Mount Sinai. And we can see this, for instance, with Caleb, which you hear me talk a lot about. Caleb was not a Jew. Caleb was not an Israelite. He was not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was actually a descendant of one of the original inhabitants of Canaan. And yet here he was as the head of the tribe of Judah. Not a member of, not somebody that happens to hang around with the tribe. He was the head of the tribe of Judah. He was the spy that was sent in on behalf of the tribe of Judah. And he's ultimately in the lineage of Yeshua. And so when we look at this, we see this beautiful image of the work of God through both the nations and Israel coming together as one people. And it's always been a part of the message of Messiah. And so here in this Parsha, we see this again. He covers everybody, your, your tribes, your elders, your officials, the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsiders within your camps. Because there was always going to be those from the nations who attached themselves to the nation of Israel. We see it with Ruth. We see with a number of other people throughout the Tanakh. And when we go forward to the Brachet Shah, these are people that are known as God-fearers. 
So you have two different types of people when you get into the first century of the nations that attach themselves to Israel before faith in Messiah. You have God-fears, and you have those that converted to, to, to Judaism, the proselytes. Uh, and so we see, for instance, in Acts 10, the God-fearer Cornelius, who uh, sent a message for Peter, and it was in this God-fearer's household that the Spirit of God first fell among the Gentiles. And what a God-fearer was was somebody who attached themselves to Israel. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They walked in his ways. They just had not physically converted to Judaism. And I'll let you figure out in your own head what exactly that means. They had not physically converted to Judaism, but they wholeheartedly walked faithfully in the ways of the Torah and the Jewish people. And so we see this imagery here. And so we have these God-fearers. And in Hebrew, you have your Gerzedechim, your righteous ones of the nations that attach themselves to the people of Israel. And so the Lord is saying, listen, I'm speaking to every generation of the nation of Israel. I'm not just speaking to you that are here today, but I'm speaking to everyone that will come after you. Uh, verse 13, not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today before Adonai or God, and with whomever is not here with us today. The entire nation of Israel was there. He's talking about every generation that would come after. And he's saying, I'm cutting this covenant with all of the house of Israel, with all of the nation of Israel, all of the Jewish people from here on out and every generation that goes along, as well as with everyone who attaches themselves to this covenant. And the language is very specific here. He says, each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai, your God, that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. So when we look at Abraham, Abraham was called out to cross over. The actual root word that we get the word Hebrew from is ver, and ver means one who crossed over. So Abraham became an ever. He became a Hebrew because he became one who crossed over from the nations and paganism into relationship with Adonai. And so he tells them, every one of you from every generation that will descend from this point and all of those both natural born and those grafted in who will stand before me will stand here as part of this covenant from this moment forward. And this is a reiteration of what we read in Exodus 19 and 20 when the Lord made the first covenant with the nation of Israel as a whole at Mount Sinai. But that first covenant was made to the first generation who walked away from the Lord and who renounced his ways and who almost instantaneously began to grumble against him and ultimately rejected his promises and his blessings, that of the promised land. And in Parsha Nitzavim, this covenant is being renewed, but it's being renewed with the second generation. And as you've heard me talk before, the second generation is a generation that knew not of slavery in Egypt. They knew not of Egypt providing food. They knew not of Egypt making sure that they were alive. They only knew the miracles and the blessings of Adonai, as we spoke of last week when the Parsha talks about how they wandered for 40 years on sandals that never wore out and in clothes that never wore out. They only ever knew the uh, miraculous provision of the Lord. But what's really neat is that we have several things looking through the Torah that brings the second generation into light as a generation of restoration and renewal of God's people. Because at Mount Sinai, almost immediately after the Aserot Hadi brought, almost immediately after the, the, the ten words or the ten commandments were spoken to the nation of Israel and the entire nation heard the audible voice of the Lord, they began to get upset because Moses, who they told to go get the rest of God's word because they were afraid to hear his voice, spent too long on the mountain. And they immediately turned to idolatry and built a golden calf. And God said, hey, I'm just going to wipe them all out. And Moses, I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses went, no, you're not. Figure out another plan, but that one ain't going to work for me. 
And so all of a sudden we see the first generation turn their back on God and immediately turn to idolatry, which is exactly what this Parsha then follows up with the passage you just read. This Parsha begins to follow up by saying, make sure that none of you give in to idolatry of the nations around you. Make sure that nobody brings this upon you because it's a reminder and a reiteration of the experiences we already had with the first generation. And then all of a sudden, the first generation comes to the shores of the shore of the, the shores of the Jordan, or the shores of the shore, the shores of the Jordan River. I heard it as it came out, but I couldn't stop it in time. The, the shores of the Jordan River, and they send the spies across, and the spies, 10 of them come back with an evil report, and two of them come back with a, uh, the, the, the good report, and they listen to the, the evil report instead, and their hearts became fearful, and all of a sudden they rejected God's promises. They rejected uh, the Lord's uh, uh, covenant with them. They rejected what God had in store for them, but yet God still renews this covenant with the next generation. He tells the first generation, you're going to wander for 40 years, which really was 38 years and change, uh, or 37 years and change. You're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. The, the, that was the two years and change from Egypt up to the, the spies, and then the 37 and change from there out. Uh, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of this first generation dies out with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. The second generation will be who will be able to walk into the promises of God and cross the Jordan River and literally not just figuratively cross over into blessing and covenant without an eye, but literally cross over into the, the blessing, which is the sign of the covenant on earth uh, with uh, the nation of Israel. And so what we see is this reiteration. God very easily could have wiped Israel out any number of times, but two really big ones is at Sinai when they built the golden calf, and the other is when they rejected the land of Israel. Could have easily wiped them out and started fresh with Moses, started fresh with Joshua, started fresh with Caleb, whatever. Could have easily done so. But instead, he remained faithful to the nation of Israel, and he restored them through the second generation. And so the second generation is able to then walk in the blessings and promises of Adonai, and they're able to walk into what he has in store for them in the promised land. We go forward to uh, chapter 30, verse 1. Now, with all these things, uh, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse that I have set before you, you uh, and you have taken them to heart, and all the nations where Adonai your God has banished you. Notice he says, when all of these things, both the blessings and the curses. So he's telling the second generation, listen, you're going to do really well for a while. Things are going to grow great. You're going to experience all of my blessings, but you're going to jack things up pretty bad too. And you're going to experience all the curses, all right? And when that time comes and you take that to heart, and he's not talking just taking the blessings to heart. He's talking when you take to heart why you're experiencing the curses. When you take to heart why you're experiencing what it feels like to live outside of my will, then you will return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to all that I am commanding you today, you and your children, with all your heart, and with all your soul. Then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and he will return and gather you from all the peoples where Adonai your God has scattered you, even if your outcasts are at the ends of the heavens. From there Adonai your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you, uh, uh, bring you, Adonai your God will bring you into the land that your fathers uh, possessed, and you will possess it, and he will do you good and multiply you more than your fathers. Also Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to, uh, to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul in order that you may live. Rashi says in regards to verse 3, says the Hebrew word used here for he will return is not vayeshev, which literally means he will bring you back, but instead vishav, 
which literally means he will come back. So when he says, I will bring you back to the land, it specifically says he will come back. Our sages learned from this that the divine presence resides among Israel, as it were, in all the misery of their exile. And when the Jews are redeemed, God speaks of it as his own redemption. He himself returns along with Israel's exiles. I bring all of that up, not because uh, I want you to go digging into Rashi, although it's, it's beneficial to understand the Jewish mindset and understanding Scripture, but I bring that up because I want you to understand the words that are being spoken here. Because Israel does, in fact, experience the blessings, and they do, in fact, experience the curses, and not just once, but over and over and over again. We experience the blessings leading up to uh, the, the judges. And then because of our actions, we have the, a judge that comes in that saves the day and everything's all happy-go-lucky and we're walking in blessings again. But then that judge dies and a couple of judges lead us astray for a while and we walk in sin. And then a judge comes in and saves the day again and we see this cycle over and over again until the kings. And then the same thing happens with the kings over and over and over again. There's a king that leads us in righteousness and a whole line of kings that don't. And then a king that saves the day and leads us in righteousness, a whole line that doesn't. And if you pay attention to the kings that don't, they have very short reigns and very short lives. And the kings that do tend to have very long reigns and very long lives. But the reality is, is that we see this message over and over and over again in Israel's history. That yes, God will disperse us from the promised land. We will walk outside of the physical promises and blessings that God has in store for us. But he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And Rashi says when Israel does return back to him, and that's the key here, is that Israel has to return back to the Lord. It's not just Israel finds their way back to the promised land. Israel's hearts have to return to the Lord and he will circumcise our hearts. And in doing so, when he circumcises our hearts, not only will he bring us back to the land, but he will be with us. Just as he's with us in exile, he will be with us in promise. Just as he is with us when we're walking outside of his will, even though we may not recognize that he's there, he is with us when we're walking inside of his will. When we're walking faithfully with him and when we're not. And the idea of teshuvah, the idea of repentance, because we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, this season of repentance in Judaism. The idea of teshuvah, of repentance in Hebrew, is not just asking God to forgive us so that we go on about our lives and continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. But teshuvah is to return. It's to stop dead in our tracks because we realize we're walking the wrong way. And we turn back around and we walk back into the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. And when we do so, when we faithfully turn back to Him, He will circumcise our hearts and he, the, the heart of our descendants to love Adonai our God with all our heart, with all our soul, in order that we may live. And then we go forward to verse 15. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. says, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. What I am commanding you today is to love Adonai your God to walk in his ways, to keep his mitzvot, statutes, and ordinances, that you will live and multiply, and Adonai, your God, will bless you in the land you are going in to possess. But if your hearts turn away, and you do not listen, but are drawn away and bow down to other gods and worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish. You will not prolong your days on the land where you are about to cross over to the Jordan uh, to go in to possess. I call on heaven, uh, call the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. 
It's our choice. It's our choice. We have the choice of walking in His blessings faithfully, of experiencing life as Chaim He. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, talking of the Word of God. We have the opportunity to choose life and to walk in His blessings, or we have the opportunity to choose death and walk in the curses. But the choice is ours. If we experience the curses in our lives, it's not because God wants to smack us around a little while. It's because God wants to draw us back unto Him. And if you pay attention to last week's Parsha, the entire purpose of the curses wasn't so God could punish us. It was so that God could grab a hold of our hearts and get our attention so that we could return back to Him. When we have to punish our kids, we don't punish them for kicks and giggles. We punish them to correct them so they're walking right. Hopefully that's what you do. <laughs> my goal um but but when we when we when we punish our kids it's to get them to 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 get their attention to correct them to turn them back around so they return back to walking in the ways that they know they're supposed to and the same is true with god whenever god has to call our attention with these curses it's not because god wants to smack us around it's simply because god wants to draw us back into himself and if you pay attention to the curses most of them are simply the opposite of the blessings like we spoke last week I will make sure that you will be prosperous in the blessings, and I will make sure that you are the opposite of prosperous in the curses. So if we want to be prosperous, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme, but if we want to be prosperous as God defines prosperity, not as Gulfstream defines it, but if we want to be rich as God defines prosperity, we have to walk in faithfulness in His covenant. We go to Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, Paul reiterates what is said in this week's Parsha. Verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness based in faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are, that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we go backwards to Jeremiah 31 for a better understanding of what he means by he will place his word in our hearts. Jeremiah 31 verse 30. Behold, days are coming. It is a declaration of Adonai when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So let's pause there. It doesn't say I'll make a new covenant with just anybody. It says I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of, J house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in that covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, it will include all of those of the nations who attach themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. That is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. The same words that he tells Israel he's cutting a covenant with them for. And portion it's of him as I'm cutting this covenant with you today so that today I will be your God and you will be my people. It's the same thing he says back in Exodus 19 and 20 when the covenant was first made. I'm making this covenant so that today you will be my people and I will be your God. And so here he says, uh, 
It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, No, Adonai, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It is a declaration of Adonai. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin I will remember no more. Jeremiah is talking about the very revelation of the new covenant. The revelation of what Yeshua came to do. Matthew 5, Yeshua makes it very clear that he didn't come to do away with the Torah, to do away with the Old Testament, to do away with Judaism, to do away with any of that. If he did, he wouldn't have lived by it, and his disciples wouldn't have lived by it. But he says what he did come to do was to help us reevaluate how to understand the Torah, how to live the Torah, how to live his word. He says, you've heard it said it's a sin to commit murder, but I tell you, you've even hated somebody. You've already committed that sin in your heart. You've heard it's a sin to commit adultery, but I tell you, you've even lusted after somebody. You've already committed that sin in your heart. Both hatred and murder and adultery and lust were dealt with in the Torah. These aren't new things. He's not saying as long as you don't hate them, you can commit murder all you want. He's saying you can't commit murder without hatred. And he says there's an external sin and there's an internal sin. There's an external commandment and there's an internal commandment. And he says, if you let me, the word made flesh, dwell upon your heart. If you let me, the word made flesh, be etched on your heart, as Jeremiah 31 says. Then the outside won't sin because the inside's taken care of. So when the outside sins, it's because we're not walking in faithfulness to the new covenant that has been etched upon our heart as believers in Yeshua Mashiach. But when we do walk faithfully in covenant with him, then as Colossians 2 verse 11 says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not done by hand and the stripping away of the body of the flesh through the circumcision of Messiah. You were buried along with him in immersion through which you also were raised with him by trusting in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he pardoned us all our transgressions. He wiped out the handwritten record of debts with the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. After disarming the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Notice, he didn't nail the law to the cross. He didn't nail the Old Testament to the cross. He didn't nail Judaism to the cross. He nailed the bill of, of offense the, the, the handwritten record of debts that was decreed against us. Every time we sin, we are willingly choosing to take a punishment upon ourselves because it is justly our due. But because of the blood atonement of Messiah, because of his sacrifice on the cross, our sins and the debt that goes along with it was nailed to the cross with him so that we could have life everlasting because we are now restored just as the second generation. We are restored anew in his covenant. Not a whole new covenant, but in the same covenant that has been renewed over and over and over again, time and time again with the nation of Israel. And just as we witness at Sinai, just as we witness in Parsha Netzavim, and just as we witness here at Congregation Mayim Chaim, this covenant is renewed with both the nation of Israel, the natural born, and those grafted in through faith in Messiah Yeshua. This is what it's all about. You and I have a fantastic promise in our lives as believers in Yeshua because that promise is of restoration. None of us in this room deserve that. None of us deserve it. What we do deserve is a pretty horrible, despicable, 
ridiculously painful death for all eternity over and over and over and over again. But our God loved us so much that he gave his only son so that we as his creation could be reunited with our creator for all eternity. No matter how far you feel you've walked away, no matter how much you have messed up, the Lord has worked to restore you. And listen, it's cliche, but it's true. He would have died if only for one of us. He would have offered his life just the same if for only one of us. But he offered it that all may freely know the gift of salvation. So that all may freely be renewed and restored in covenant. The same covenant that our fathers rejected. And by our fathers, I don't just mean mine as being a Jewish person. I'm not just talking about the, the first generation of Israel and all of those that came after them that rejected the covenant of Adonai and caused us to find ourselves in Babylon and under Roman control and all these other atrocities that occurred over and over and over again in the history of the Jewish people. I'm talking about yours too, whether you're Jewish or not. Because all of us trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, who sinned first. And all of us trace our lineage back to Noah, who was fallen as well. He was counted righteous. And that's why humanity was saved through him. But he was still fallen, just like the rest of us. Our fathers rejected our Creator. Our fathers rejected our Heavenly Father. And yet, in spite of our rejection of him, he has continually restored us and renewed us and given us everlasting life so that we may walk faithfully in him. In closing, I want to recap this with pulling out the reality that there are four very important major points that we see in this Parsha. And I think they're of divine importance to each and every one of us. The first is that God has called us, as we see at the very beginning of the Parsha, to be in unity. He says the whole community of Israel, and he names off every quote-unquote kind of level of the nation of Israel or every familial connection or whatever it may be. The whole community as a single entity, Am Echad, one people, stands before Hashem, stands before the Lord. And he says, we have chosen him and he has chosen us. And that is the covenant. We have chosen him and he has chosen us. And he tells us at the very beginning that this must be in unity. And we go to Yeshua's words and John and other places, and that's the call that he, has, that he gives to us is to be united with him as he is with our Heavenly Father. And it's in that unity that the nations will see his love. The second is redemption. God has offered redemption to each and every one of us. He has offered restoration to each and every one of us. Not only through the work that we see occurring for the nation of Israel throughout the Tanakh, but specifically through what it all led to and was a foreshadowing of, which is the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua, through which not only are we restored and renewed, not only are we washed clean, but that covenant of old has been renewed and cleaned up and written upon our hearts. As Messiah, the Word made flesh, dwells within us. Third is there's a practicality to the Torah. There's a practicality to the covenant. It's not something complicated or difficult. It's not something far-fetched or hard to reach. It's not something that is beyond our ability to live by. As a matter of fact, there's 613 commandments in the Torah. There's 1,050 in the New Testament. 
Every single one of the ones in the New Testament is either a reiteration of what's in the Torah or a further illustration of how to live it out. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's a easy, practical lifestyle. And the whole reason God called us to live by His Word, and not just the Torah, but Genesis through Revelation, is so that we will walk in faithfulness with Him and the nations will see Him in our midst. And then finally, it's our choice. He has given us a freedom of choice. And He tells us it's ours to choose life and blessing or death and curse. But the choice is ours. And He very specifically and very blatantly tells us at the end of Deuteronomy 30. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to His voice, and clinging to Him. And it is only by choosing life that we can experience the salvation that brings new life and life eternal. And it is only through the salvation that brings new life and life eternal that we can experience the covenant written upon our heart. And it is only through the covenant written upon our heart that as a Jewish person, I can become a light to the nations as God has always called my people to be. And it is only through the covenant being written on our heart that those of you who are of the nations can drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. And neither of us can reject our calling. And neither of us can reject the restoration that God has placed before us for his purposes. And we must be united in Messiah, united in the Ruach, united in the Spirit. Because we don't have that much time left. And the Lord wants to use us more now than He's ever used any generation before us. Because as time draws closer, it is more necessary that we, the body of Messiah, begin to look like the image and likeness we've been created in so that the world around us will see God in us and want to walk in faithfulness in his salvation. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you have provided restoration, that you've provided new life and, not, and life eternal in Messiah Yeshua. Father, we thank you that your word stands true from creation through eternity that nothing in your word comes back void, that nothing is tossed away, that nothing is, is forgotten. Father, we thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless, as we will say over and over and over again on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You are faithful even when we are faithless. And Father, we cry out that through the work of Messiah Yeshua, you will make us faithful to you and in you so that lives may be touched by your presence in our midst. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.